y'all, welcome back to Bulls with the Bard. My name is Cakes, I am your host. Today we are talking with Gabby Wolf. Gabby is an Aquarius who grew up in Midlothian, Virginia and has spent the last four and a half years in DC. Her favorite color is purple, her favorite movie is The Princess Bride, and her favorite book is Jane Eyre, though she also loves Daughter of the Forest by Juliette Marier. Her first Shakespeare play was Hamlet, in which she played Ophelia, and she doesn't really have a favorite Shakespeare play, but she is a sucker for a good production of Romeo and Juliet. Gabby cannot start her day without a cup of coffee. She drinks it black and with cinnamon. Gabby enjoys baking, long walks in the mornings, and crocheting and cross-stitching, and she even writes a bit as well. Gabby is here with us today to talk about her play La Llorona, which opens at We Happy Few in Washington, D.C. at the end of October. I will drop a link to tickets for that in the show notes. Gabby is also here with us to discuss how the Shakespeare industry might do better by the Latine community. I cannot wait to share our conversation with you, but first, before we got chatting, as always, we got a little high. Alright y'all, we are back with Gabby Wolf talking about plague stuff, and Gabby, you wrote a play with your pandemic. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so during the height of the pandemic, as the phrase is now turned into, or quarantine, we were chatting in like company meetings with We Happy Few and doing like virtual retreats and talking about our Expanding the Canon initiative and how we wanted to bring in more non-Western uh, stories that could be considered classic and of course we were like well what is classic and you know breaking that down so I found out about La Llorona I had kind of known about it a, a little bit here and there and then I sort of revisited that story because I really like spooky stories and so I kept trying to find like a public domain play in English, which was also difficult, that was about her or like about how she came to be and I couldn't find anything. Um, the one play I found that was kind of an origin story was in Spanish and it was mostly a male cast, which I was like, huh. well that's not going to work. <laughs> uh, so I ended up writing one that I feel uh, best from my impressions of the multiple stories I've heard, gives her a nice meaty uh, origin story. Awesome. Yeah. Can you give us like a tiny summary of what sure. that is? Sure, yeah, okay. Um, so we open up actually in modern day and we see three women. Um, there's an aunt, a tia, a mama, and uh, their daughter. Or not their daughter, but a daughter. Um, and we find out that they are struggling because there's been a divorce in the family, work has had to be picked up in the evenings, and there's a lot of trauma, stress, anxiety happening. And the young, like kind of teenage daughter runs off after saying something super mean to her mom, which we've all done it at one point or another. Oh, yeah. In an argument, we've said something really <laughs> nasty to our moms. And, um, she runs into the woods and by a river she 
encounters La Llorona, the weeping woman. And basically we go on a journey after that sort of little framing device opening story to find out how this woman, Esperanza, and her sister Maite sort of... I don't want to give it away. <laughs> um, how everything kind of sort of shakes out and how the monster came to be. Okay. Yeah. I think that's enough without giving up and like no sell s- tickets at no the same spoilers. time. No spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Okay. So now like fast forward from quarantine times, you are putting this play up in a world with COVID. Yeah. What has that been like? Yeah, um, so it all began honestly a year ago because we did a reading um, and even that felt a bit like ballsy to do because it's like, yeah, we're going to gather inside with a variant. It's fine. Um, So we started with a reading and we, we cast a company of actors and the reading was very successful. We sold out and a lot of rehearsals were on Zoom. We really didn't have an in-person rehearsal. We had like a couple, but maybe till like the day before, the night before. And now that we're like producing the full production, you know, we're still doing like bi-weekly COVID tests and like the directing team and stage management all remain masked throughout the entire rehearsal. Actors may unmask if they feel comfortable doing so. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been a little bit easier than I feel like people who have produced maybe like five, six months ago. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We're also like, this may sound irresponsible, I don't, but like, when you're a non-equity theater company, you're not at like the mercy of all of the rules that equity and yes. like lore and all of that impose. I don't know if that's the right word either, but there's a little bit of more flexibility with that, which to me kind of helps. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that got picked up. This, I hope it does. Yeah, um, but it makes things a little bit easier. There's not as much red tape, honestly, because yeah. um, I work at studio theater during the day and it can be there's a lot to make sure that gets done and is safe for everybody because there's more people so huh interesting yeah yeah I feel like knowing the people who are working at We Happy Few though like even if you don't have to follow as many strict guidelines I know like there's there's a fresh baby in that yeah there's a a lot of fresh babies (laughs) um so you know we have parents who are concerned about their children's well-being so we're generally like just approaching it from like erring on the side of caution yeah but we don't have to like go out and buy tests every day or like every week that kind of thing okay well that's that's nice yeah uh, (laughs) helps with money yeah (laughs) yeah for sure um so y'all have like a full latin hispanic cast yeah yes how has that been working with a group like that it's been really cool it was really daunting i guess to cast it because you never like you never know who's going to come out and also when you're a company that you know the the company members and everybody's predominantly a white group or white passing if you've never done a play representing a certain uh group before people could kind of look at you and just be like I don't know. So, you know, it's been definitely like building trust, building new relationships. And then 
I think the reading really helped a lot with that. We invited several of the actors back um, to audition again from the reading. For me, it's as the playwright, it's been great because since Spanish is not my first language, I've been like, and if anybody knows how to say this better in Spanish, please let me know. And it's not in an effort to make it more authentic or make it feel like, make it appear like I know Spanish better than I actually do. It's to serve the story better mm -hmm. and so that if an, a Latina audience member comes, they feel seen or like, you know, one that just speaks Spanish more than I do, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I feel like that experience of like an all yeah. anything but white cast is yeah. kind of a rarity, especially like in the classical theater world. Yeah. Um, and as we've come back, from the pandemic, I feel like things are a little better, but we could definitely still be doing even better than that. Um, right, yeah. So with you, I'm I'm interested in asking, like, mm -hmm. how can Shakespeare and the classical theater world do better by the Latina community, by, mm -hmm. I know you said you are a mixed race individual. Yes, um, yeah. So I'm interested just like in your experiences in general and, and yeah. how we, how we might do better. Well, so it's interesting because in our play, we actually do have an actor from Spain specifically. Oh, cool. So they are white and from Spain. And then uh, I think another actor, like he's from Mexico, but he I, is white presenting. I do not know. Um, but because La Irona is, it's set in a time where a caste system existed in Latin America, we're addressing a lot of that. And a lot mm. of those like colorism issues still exist in the Latina community today. So it's kind of great because a lot of the time to kind of get into the next part of like how can Latina communities, in my opinion, be better served in classical theater and things like that is understanding the, the variety and nuances of the Latina community. Like we're not just all one big group. Um, you know, the, the differences between the countries is very specific. Like, um, for example, West Side Story is a very specific Puerto Rican story. And yes, maybe not all of the actors were Puerto Rican and were cast from other countries or other backgrounds. But it's just like, if you are going to tell a story of specificity, like a specific group, understanding that while there is that specificity, there is also a great amount of variety because um, you have Afro-Latinas, you have white passing Latinas, you have brown Latinas. Like there's always like this weird perception that a lot of Latinas are like brown olive skin, like dark brown eyes, like hair, like, you know, we think of like kind of like that sexy Penelope Cruz idea. Yes. <laughs> a lot of the time that's what what's getting pushed forward. And so it's just important to acknowledge and recognize that if you're going to do a Latina story, like they don't all have to look exactly the same. <laughs> like there can be variety and nuance, even with a specific Latina cast. Interesting, interesting. Yeah. I feel like I heard a little bit of that conversation when In the Heights came out. Yeah. Like there was yeah. some criticism surrounding that, so. Yeah, I would say like with that, from what I noticed, I felt like the background showed diversity and variety, but like the lead cast did not as much. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like they were afraid to let more than one black person be a lead or something. And I was just like, it's okay. <laughs> Why? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, you're right on the money with that. I think yeah. like that whole conversation from a, 
a white, uneducated perspective for me sure. was kind of eye-opening because yeah. I was like, oh yeah. There are probably a lot of people that I've interacted with on the daily that like, I have no clue that they have that influence in their life. Like I just look at them and assume what yeah. they are based on what I'm seeing and like, that's yeah. problematic in and of itself. That's the thing about categorizing people by the color of their skin is just like, it really just shuts down a lot of opportunities to sort of like understand and know people better because we're all making assumptions. Cause if we think we know something then it feels safer or more familiar and like in falling into this colorism um, mindset, we're actually preventing ourselves from connecting with others better. Huh. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. Well, yeah. with that idea of like specificity in mind, yeah. do you have any plays or characters that you would like to see performed with the influence of your community? Oh, gosh. When I think of like Shakespeare and stuff, I'm just like, hey, like, let's just keep casting non-white people in Shakespeare in any and every role. And everybody's always like, what Romeo and Juliet can we do with two groups that are not white, that have trauma? And I'm just like, I don't know. Like, There's so many to pick from, um, but yeah, so I keep hearing the, this person on the street. Um, I think it might be kind of cool to see a Tempest production with like some really, even though it's, leaning hard into the magic. Um, I feel like magical realism is such a uh, strong theme and device in uh, Latine, Hispanic literature and storytelling that I think it'd be really interesting to see the Tempest like leaning really hard into that literary tool. Um, I'm trying to sound smart. Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's really exciting. Yeah. yeah. I think you could get some cool like imagery out of that. Yeah. People could learn more like. Well, cause everybody always wants to do the Tempest with like big magic tricks and it always ends up kind of feeling a little like forced or, you know, eh, clumsy. But I think the magical realism, it's like just taking little things and like finding the simplicity and specificity. And I think that could be really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you're totally right. Like, yeah. I, I think of the productions of Tempest that I've seen, and yeah. it's almost like they focused more on the big than on what the idea or like what they're trying to say or where it came from. Yeah. And yeah. Because it's not a very co complex story. It's this brother was mean to that brother and that brother left. Now he has a kid, kid falls in love with this other person. like. It's not super, super complex, so I feel like a lot of people think that in order to compensate for a story that's fairly simple, they're like, well, we gotta make it a spectacle. Uh -huh. Like, we have to make it the alternative to Midsummer, And it's like, no, you really don't. I mean, cool if you do, but yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Huh, cool. Yeah. All right, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we wrap things up, do you have anything else you'd like to add about La Llorona? Yes. Oh, yes. Please um, go off. <laughs> yes. No, I would love for people to come see La Llorona and see maybe some actors you haven't seen on the DC stage that much before. Um, and yes, supporting a all Hispanic Latina cast is always super important. And also 
I'm like very excited and nervous to share this. You know, they're always like, your play is your baby. And I'm like, well, it's not as heavy like paper than a baby, but it's just like the, the anticipation has definitely been building up over the year. And you know, even if it doesn't win any Helen Hayes awards, I'm excited to tell the story. I'm <laughs> so really excited to see it. Yeah. It's, they've been hyping it up for a while. So I am I'm like, like, it better yeah. live up. So. <laughs> I'm sure it will. I'm sure it's great. I'm, I'm like absolutely pumped. I'm very grateful that you came in and yeah. talked. Um, when I saw you as Bianca in oh Desdemona, I was like, huh. Yeah. That's a person I should reach out to. Oh my gosh. So. Well, I'm sorry I couldn't bring my riding prop <laughs> with me today. So oh, I <laughs> Such a good performance, oh, by the way. Thank you. Jonathan it was a lot of fun. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad. That was, I mean, I just love the work that We Happy Few is doing. I really yeah. appreciate that y'all are looking at a different way to produce classics and look at what is a classic. It's yeah. Cool. It's like fun being with a group of people who aren't being pretentious about Shakespeare. Yes. yes. <laughs> Which yeah. I know a lot of groups, that's their thing. They're like, we're not pretentious about Shakespeare, but then they still kind of sound pretentious. <laughs> but they kind of are. No, yeah. I've, I've been talking a lot with Raven and I talked a lot with Carrie at the yeah. beginning of the year and I'm I'm very excited for what y'all have planned moving forward. Yeah. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed today's episode, you can follow Gabby, We Happy Few, and Bulls with the Bard at the handles either on your screen or in the description. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe. And join us next time as we talk with Will of TikTok Shakespeans about how we use Shakespeare's device as women dressed as men, and how the Shakespeare industry might do better by non-binary individuals. Until then, Bye, y'all. A thousand, thousand sides to save, oh, lay me where sad true lover never find my grave to weep there.